with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you're offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. The Gospel of the Lord. I feel like I need a stool or something. <laughs> Grace and peace to you from our Father in heaven, our risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who lives and reigns among us now and forever. Amen. Pastor JJ is at Stephen Minister training this week, but he left the sermon on Matthew with me to relay to you in his absence. For those of you who don't know me, I am Lori Tharp. I was the past treasurer, I'm the past council member, and now I'm a seminary student. I um, am starting my second semester this next week. I go back to Luther on Thursday. And um, so I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you today and thank you for allowing me to practice my public speaking skills on you. So this sermon again was written by Pastor JJ and he wanted me to relay these words to you. Don't you just hate it when you make a mistake? I do. I just hate it when I do something that makes someone angry at me. It's like a heavy load on my back and I'm not at peace until the situation is reconciled. Of course, sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes people hold grudges and they will not let them go. Some folks will just not accept an apology and others will not apologize for themselves. So what are we to do? Part of the problem with anger is that it spreads. We as humans take our anger home with us. For example, think of the boss who was yelled at by her boss and then goes back into her office and yells at her employees. One of the employees goes home and shouts at their children. The children shouts at the cat. On and on it goes, and I think we can all relate. Psychologists will tell us that part of human maturity is learning to recognize our anger and deal with it before it gets out of control. Sometimes it seems like many of us are not very mature or adult-like when we're angry. Last week in the Gospel reading, we heard that we are called to be the light of the world and that this is our true calling in life. So how can we diffuse our anger and prevent it from spilling out all over the place? It really is a shame that every time we let our anger smolder inside of us, we're becoming a little less than fully human. We're belittling ourselves, really. Luckily, we have Jesus to point us to a new way of being fully, genuinely, and gloriously human. It's a way that goes down deep into the roots of our personalities and produces a different kind of behavior altogether. 
Jesus offers two remarkably specific and practical commands. Be reconciled and make friends. It sounds really simple, doesn't it? And yet, how very difficult it is. It almost certainly involves climbing down from the high pedestal on which we sometimes place ourselves and giving up our position of superiority over the person that we're angry with. Genuine humans don't live on pedestals, though. We have our feet on the ground on the same level as everyone else. It takes great humility and courage to admit to someone that we were wrong and come to them and ask for forgiveness. At the same time, it takes a lot of grace for someone to forgive us and set us free from the bondage of hostility. It is, the gra it is grace when someone forgives us. They are the ones to set us free from the guilt and remorse. We should all respond with, respond with a rousing and loud, thank you, Lord, for grace. In the gospel lesson today, Jesus says, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar and first go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. It's amazing that Jesus says that reconciliation takes precedence even over worship. When we keep in mind what this would have meant in his day, we see the importance of his point. Imagine back in Jesus' time that someone arrives at the temple courtyard in Jerusalem, buys a sacrificial animal, and then remembers when they're approaching the presence of the Lord, the loving and holy God, that there was some relationship that had gone wrong. It takes about three days to travel to get to Galilee and back to where most of Jesus' takes three days to travel to Galilee where most of Jesus' hearers lived and another three days to get back to Jerusalem. Reconciliation is a big deal. Jesus couldn't have seriously intended that the worshiper leave a live animal sitting in the temple court for a week while they scurry back home, apologize to the offended person, and then return to Jerusalem. Rather, we are to live day to day, minute by minute and second by second, in such a way that when we come to worship, there is no anger between us and our neighbor, sister, brother, spouse, whomever. Even that seems impossible, though, doesn't it? It's impossible until we look to Jesus. Jesus himself refused to go the way of anger. Instead, he took the anger of his enemies into himself, and he died under the load, even forgiving those who were killing him. Because of him, reconciliation is not simply an ideal we strive for. It's an achievement, an accomplishment, which we can embody. For when we are saved, we die to self and live for and in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes, You were dead through the trespasses and sins in whence you which lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the Spirit is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of the flesh, following the desires of our flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath, like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, 
even though we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is a gift from God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. The passage is all about grace, love, forgiveness, and reconciliation. After all, that's what being a follower of Jesus is all about. When we are dead in our transgressions and sins, when we follow the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of air, when we're already heading down the road with no hope of turning off, let alone turning back, and apparently there's no brake on the car to stop, when we're heading for the cliff, this is when we hear the words of Paul from Ephesians. We were disobedient, following the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. We were by nature objects of wrath. What a horrible and awful picture, but there's truth in it. Have you ever walked into a room where a group of folks were meeting and sensed power in the air? Sometimes, and hopefully most of the time, it's a good power, like walking into a room filled with beloved family and friends, or walking into this church building for worship and seeing the smiling faces of persons who genuinely care about you. But sometimes we might walk into a place or situations where we feel a different kind of power in the air. There's a meanness about us. It has a bite and sharp teeth. There's no love in that power. There's no room for grace. That is a place where we have all lived at one time or another. Even while we were in this place of despair, even while we were so self-absorbed that love was the last thing on our minds, we are assured that because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with, even with Christ, even when we were dead in our own transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And this comes about only through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Christ has been raised, and so have we. He's been installed in glory in the heavenly realms, and so have we. This is the secret of life for all of us who belong to Jesus. This should cause us to stand in awe of the sheer, almost unbelievable, magnificent kindness of God. If anyone ever says or implies that God is a bit stingy or mean or small-minded, read Ephesians chapter 2. Of course, lots of people are heading at high speed in the wrong direction, want to think of God as being a killjoy. Some people don't believe there's much wrong with the human race, or with themselves in particular. As a result, they may not see much need for God's grace. Perhaps some people think, God might help me out in a tight pinch here or there, 
that basically I can get along okay without God. All that God has to offer, it seems, is a spiritual kind, a kind of spiritual enhancement of ordinary life rather than a radical rescue from imminent danger. But God's grace is much, much greater than mere enrichment. It gives life to the dead. It is God's free and undeserved gift to us. And it sets us free from the bondage of sin, death, and despair. When we accept God's grace, reconciliation occurs, and we now travel in the right direction after the dangerously wrong journey of our life before. Paul writes, For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. It kind of has an artistic ring to it, doesn't it? It's like you and I were God's work of art, like a poem or a painting or a sculpture. We are a work in progress, of course, but a work nonetheless. And nothing in all creation is more exciting and worthwhile than this. Amen.